0: Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the word together. Now let's join West for today's study. This week our topic is on the lion's den and we're going to take a look at what I hope is a unique time in God's word from the book of Daniel. Perhaps you know the story well, but have you ever examined it closely and beyond that of a guy who prayed when he was told not to, got caught, got chucked into a den of hungry lions because he prayed, and was not eaten because God kept the lions from attacking him? But I don't believe that is what we are to walk away with, and for the next several weeks we will be visiting with specific well-known people in Scripture in order that we might find out why God even used their life and struggles And are they just stories to make the Bible more fun to read or something for us to grow from? I don't believe there is one account of anyone's life in Scripture and anything they did or didn't do that is not 100% relevant to everyone on the planet today and has been since the Scriptures were penned. And if you are struggling with the accuracy and authenticity of Scripture and God Himself, I encourage you to listen to the message, Proving God. Now on to Daniel and his lion encounter and how his experience is so relevant to many encounters we face at one time or another in our lives as well. And we will start by reading the entire passage in God's Word on Daniel's account. Daniel 6, 1-28 It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, and with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to send him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have hurt not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At that, the king commanded the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So there is a piece of what Daniel endured And an account of how Daniel not only honored God, but trusted God and what God did and does for us when we trust him. So where is this twist on the story? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and follow that which God expects of us, we will face at least one den of lions in our lives. And while it appears that Daniel only faced one such encounter, there are those of us who simply need multiple dens of lions, I think, to finally get it. I think the most amazing thing about God is the fact that even when we are stubborn and self-centered and disobedient, God still spares us from the mauling by those lions. It is, however, exceptionally terrifying to face a den of lions when you are not prepared and focused and dependent on God for your safety and security and ultimate freedom from the situation. And something very beautiful we see is that Daniel was prepared. He was willing to face any consequence that would come his way. I'm not saying he wasn't slightly stressed out by facing a den of hungry lions, but he at the very same time trusted God and that God would ultimately take care of him through faith and obedience. I believe we too often turn these stories like Daniel and the lion's den, Noah's ark, Jonah and the whale, Jesus' birth and death, uh, David and Goliath, the Tower of Babel, the six days of creation, Adam and Eve, uh, to name the major ones, we turn them into just that stories. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to present my opinion on why we need to not view these life experiences and testimonies of others as just stories. And then we will get back to the crux of our message today. And I think this is quite critical to see why this is important, because we, for example, tell a lot of stories from the Bible. But when someone tells us in church, for example, about their life's journey in Christ and how they accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and how he saved them from the perils of their life. We usually don't say, hey, Susie's going to come up front and tell us a story about her life in Christ. No, it's often an over-dramatized moment in the service, and it is presented as Susie is going to share amazing testimony about unbelievable journeys with Christ. And in this instance, we are hearing Daniel's testimony of his journey with God and how God saved him from an unbelievable set of circumstances. Yes, this passage is a stunning testimony of salvation through faith in God. Sadly, however, many who are brought up in the church learn all of these, again, quote, stories in Sunday school, and they remain embedded in our heads for the rest of our lives as just that, stories and not the profound Word of God as stunning examples of one thing and in every instance of every event recorded in God's Word and that of God's amazing grace and love and care for those and only those who put their faith and trust in Him, again, the story of salvation. In my opinion, the Bible is too often repressed as a storybook and by none other than those who claim it as God's Word. Now, while the word story is indeed defined as an account of incidents or events, there is, at least in the English language, a strong connotation of a story being an anecdote, or the quote storyline of a movie, and something made up to get your attention, to make a point. But that doesn't sound very serious to me, and I for one don't believe God told me a bunch of stories neatly stuck together in a book. And if you pay close enough attention to most credible people who tell you a story, they will preface it with, and I'm going to tell you a story and it's true. If indeed they are legitimate and the story is true. And that to me indicates the point when you tell someone a story, it is often questioned by the audience as something not true. Yes, as in a lie to make a point. You know, like a white lie, those clean lies that are okay as we discussed in the message, White Lies. Don't we tell kids and adults alike Don't give me that story, as in, don't lie to me. So I strongly believe that we need to treat God's word with more seriousness, and I see it is not as stories, but as the unchanging, perfect truth of a flawless event and circumstance from God, a perfect testimony. And we see that when Jesus told stories, he made sure we knew he was telling a story because he prefaced when he presented a story as just that. Essentially, Jesus said, let me tell you a parable And the definition of a parable is just that, usually a short fiction story that illustrates a moral attitude or religious principle and example or lesson. So I believe this is very definitive of where we are right now as we look at the reality and meet, no pun intended, of Daniel's experience in this particular instance of his life being sentenced to the lion's den for execution. And I took this time to review, again, what I believe to be important with regard to how we view God's Word, as over the next several weeks we will be examining the importance of many individuals who have left us their testimony of how God saved them from death. And that is indeed the foundation of God's Word, from beginning to end. It's all about salvation and all about what happens when you deny or attempt to stop God's Word. So back to Daniel's testimony of salvation. We see that God called Daniel into a relationship with him and Daniel acknowledged it and took his relationship with God seriously. God wanted Daniel to be close to him and growing and maturing in his relationship with God and so the best way to do that is to stay in close contact with God and that by communication and that through prayer. And so that is what Daniel did. He wanted to hang out with God He wanted to get to know God better each day, all day, and so he made time to pray. Notice our passage states he made talking to God a priority. It was on his daily schedule, on the calendar. Isn't that what we do with things that are important to us? The people we love and like. We want to be around them as much as we can. We want to talk to them and we make time for those that matter most to us. In fact, sometimes we make too much time for them and don't get done what we need to. But nonetheless we make time for them and put it on our calendar and at the very least we put it on the calendar of our mind but you know as well as i do that sometimes does not work even if we really want to remember it it sometimes falls off our mental calendar is it wrong to put god on our calendar i believe a lot of christians think so because it should just be something we naturally want to do and do because we are so dedicated to god but that is false None of us are that good and thoughtful and interested in always hanging out with God, and so we see Daniel made specific times to go to God. And whether it was a mental calendar or maybe written down, he made specific time, and that's just how life works for us today. Don't pastors and Christian counselors tell people all the time, schedule a date night with your husband or wife, put it on the calendar, calendar family time in, time to read the Bible, etc. Yet, I don't recall one seminar or anyone honestly saying, I need to put spending time with God on my calendar in the form of communication, as in prayer. However, I need the reminders just like everything else I do in life, and I do frequently forget and neglect my time with God if I am not reminded. And it's easier than ever now with your smartphone. Yep, no excuses. We see through Daniel that he wanted and had a great relationship with God. They were close and they were friends. But as life would have it, sometimes being friends with certain people and hanging out with them can get you in trouble. And even in a healthy relationship, one that is truly good and beneficial. Sometimes other people just don't like who you choose to be your friends. And sometimes others will tell you, who is and is not acceptable to associate with. And in this instance, there were a group of people who didn't like who Daniel was hanging around, and they decided to stop Daniel from spending time with his best friend, God, the one Daniel dearly loved and the one who dearly loved Daniel. It is incredible to me that so many people throughout history and throughout the world, up to this very day, get so bent out of shape with those who call God their father and best friend, and when like-minded people hang out together, they are labeled and scorned. And why? Because they see our Father, God, and Savior as offensive, evil, nasty, or more remarkably still non-existent. Ironically, those who believe God to be non-existent are the ones who get most hostile when I hang out with my supposedly non-existent friend. As I see it, they should simply feel sorry for me that I would be so out of my mind to engage so fully with nothing. But isn't it my business then to engage with nothing? That certainly shouldn't lead anyone to getting so upset that they try to put laws in place that ban me from my imaginary relationship, should it? After all, a good portion of society today believes that we have the freedom to be anyone, anything, at any time we decide to be. But those who believe in God and claim Christ are told they cannot believe that and discuss it. Sounds like injustice, insensitivity, countercultural, hateful, harassment, and certainly not coexisting in peace and love, just as it appears everybody claims we should be doing. But all that, once again, proves the authenticity of God and just how very real He is. Because as believers, if we are not regularly getting pushback, God, after all, may not be who He claims to be and very real. Furthermore, God is the only one, the only existing identity in the universe that for those people who don't believe God exists, when to make Sure, you don't believe in that non existing thing either. Furthermore, God is the only one, the only existing identity in the universe that for those people who don't believe God exists, want to make sure you don't believe in that non existing thing either. And to my understanding, that makes the nothing very real, because that nothingness is the only nothingness that generates the fire and passion and conviction in people, like nothing else. As we see, Daniel didn't care what others thought of his relationship. And here's another key point in his relationship with God. He knew God was true and real, and Daniel was not going to let someone else tell him who he would and would not hang out with. And so Daniel continued to talk to God just as he always did. Did Daniel know the ramifications for going against the king's decree? Of course, but that only shows us how much faith and trust Daniel put in God and it was irrelevant what simple people would or could do to him. He didn't care because he was convinced his friend, his father, would keep him safe just like any loving parent would. He believed. And so we continue and find out that the others who wanted to dictate who Daniel associated with told on him, ratted him out. Can you hear them now? Oh, King Darius, Oh, your majesty, we just saw Daniel doing what you told him not to do. He was praying again and we thought you should know. Can you just hear and see the whiny, attitudinal voice and posture of those guys now sprawled all over the floor at King Darius's feet? Doesn't that just make you want to tell them to get a life, grow up, and play in traffic? But that's not God-honoring. In fact, we are told by God to pray for such people that they would one day see exactly what Daniel is seeing and experiencing, and the same principle applies to what we have in Christ today with others. Another profound thing we learn in this passage is that In reality, Daniel did break the law, and he did know the consequence, and Daniel was fine with that. And better still, God was fine with it too. Which takes us to yet another remarkable discussion. Is it okay to break the law? It depends on the law. And in this case, it is absolutely acceptable and right. Get this. God honoring to go against the government if they tell you you cannot speak or believe in Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. So you say. Jesus says, don't break laws, but break laws? No, but this can go down an even bigger path, and that of, did Jesus break the law when he didn't listen to the government and religious mandates set forth when he disregarded them while on earth to do the work of his Father? And we won't go there fully now, but just to satisfy the question with a very brief answer, yes, Jesus, God in the flesh, did break the earthly law, but remained sinless, perfectly sinless. And to that, one could easily argue and call God a hypocrite, because God does say, if you can't follow man's laws, you can't follow God's laws. And further still, God put the governing authorities over us, and we are to submit to their authority and render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And there are many more such directions for us throughout the Bible just like that from Jesus, God himself. However, God's word tells us we are also to first follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Do what Jesus does and what is God honoring. And so we see that when people like Peter and John were told they had to stop talking about Jesus because they were breaking the law, they stated, as an example in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than human beings. And an example of our passage, Daniel is legally challenged because he is breaking the law, but humbly, did you hear that? Daniel was polite and humble, yet bold in his rebuttal, that he would choose God over government. Now, and very importantly, don't think that you can do something in the quote, name of God and break the law because you decided it was quote, God honoring in your own mind. Because when you go down that road, we are looking for revenge based on our human emotions and expectations and not those truly of God. Remember, God says revenge is mine and all mine. Don't get involved in my business or you will pay a price for that from the government, and from me. And that, in a very brief summary, is the only time we can break the law and that of when we are told we cannot honor, worship, and promote the name of Jesus, God. Period. Notice we never heard Daniel say in his testimony that he would also stop paying taxes and doing the speed limit on his camel and steal and rob and kill because he had God on his side. No, not at all. It was simply one thing he refused to agree to, and that of not walking away from his relationship with God, and that is just and right and honorable in the sight of God. The one and only human law you can break in confidence, and God will have your back. As we continue on our journey with Daniel, we know that Daniel is sent to a lion's den. But what was the purpose of this den of lions? Why would they even have captive lions in town? Well, this was not a zoo or a sightseeing attraction. This indeed was a place of execution. This was a death chamber, and the lions were the method of execution, just like the cross was the method of execution for Jesus. So the story goes, no. This for sure, and especially at this point, is no story. This is indeed the brutal, terrifying reality that Daniel was to be executed by lions in order that he would be silenced once and for all for proclaiming God. Again, isn't that what the religious leaders and Roman government attempted to do with Jesus? And even though Daniel is Old Testament pre-Christ, this is just a glimpse of what is coming through a Savior in Jesus. And the same holds true for Adam and Eve. They were covered over by the shed blood of an innocent animal who would take the place of their immediate death. Again, all of these accounts are the work of God through salvation for those who believe and trust in Him. So we see that Daniel did not die as he was supposed to have. He was not mauled to death. And even though he was trapped in that den, sealed in with a stone, and doesn't that sound very similar to where they put Jesus after he died on the cross? They sealed Jesus in too to make sure he could not escape death by any possible means. Yet Jesus rose and came out whole and very much unscathed and very much alive, and the government couldn't silence him. And so, too, God saw that Daniel would be sealed up, and yet Daniel walked out unscathed and very much alive, and the government could not silence him. Isn't it also exceptionally fascinating that the ones who were executed by the lions in the end were the ones who went against God? Isn't it exceptionally fascinating that the government, Rome, who attempted to permanently silence and remove Jesus, is the very government that was ultimately silenced and removed from the world? And this is life, then and now. Many amazing and awesome things come from this profound testimony of Daniel, and it's not just a child story. Daniel demonstrated his sincere and intense relationship with God, his true father and friend. Second, Daniel did not walk away from his relationship with God just because he was being persecuted. Third, Daniel did break the king's law but held first and foremost to God's law, and was ultimately vindicated by God for being obedient. And fourthly, Daniel, throughout the entirety of these events, trusted that God would take care of him, and trusted that no matter the outcome, he only had one thing to focus on, and that of knowing God had his back. So too, we need to trust in God like Daniel, and remember his testimony. We need to follow hard after God in the face of all the lions in our den that are waiting to devour us. Trust God that he will keep the mouths of those lions closed when you are doing what is right and worthy in the sight of God. Remember, the word of God and God himself will never be silenced, and neither will those who follow hard after him. Today, I am going to let you close in a time of prayer on your own that you go to God and speak to God, potentially you are in the den of lions right now. And you need to go to God in faith and trust and in love, knowing that He is your friend and will protect you from the lions that walk around you waiting.